This Week at Hope Point. So when you start Revelation 17, you see the spirit of the prostitute. She really represents the spirit of Babylon, a wicked city in the past. But that wicked city, that spirit was now in Rome and its leaders were corrupt, pagan. They loved godlessness. They thought the most important thing in life was living for the fulfillment of your flesh through sexual sin and godless worldly gain. And then if you keep reading, you're gonna realize it was really just a metaphor for all the cities of the world. That's what the prostitute represents. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. I want you to forgive me for once again having to use the book Pilgrim's Progress to introduce uh, a message to you, but uh, the book being the second most uh, popular book in the world uh, does often reference the Bible and mimics the journey that we all face, the hard trials and temptations of the Christian life. And today in the book, uh, which will set up the sermon, we're almost at the end of Pilgrim's Progress where uh, a girl, two of them named Christiana and Mercy, are journeying to the, through the enchanted uh, ground along with a guy named Greatheart, and they come upon this man. The enchanted ground was a place that tried to put Christians asleep right before they got to heaven to try to call them to be uh, lax about knowing there was danger. And they see this man uh, in the enchanted ground praying fervently, and they ask him, why are you why are you praying? And his name is Mr. Standfast. He's on his knees. They ask him, why are you praying so fervently? This was his answer. Well, I was thinking about what a dangerous road this is. I was thinking someone approached, as I was thinking, someone approached me who was dressed in very pleasing attire. She presented herself to me and offered me three things, her body, her purse, and her bed. Now, her name was Madam Deception, and he goes on to describe how unrelenting was her pursuit. I resisted her over and over, but she just smiled and continued to proposition me. She told me that if I would submit to her, she would make me great and happy, for she said, I am the mistress of the world, and men are made happy by me. And soon as he finished uh, describing what he had experienced from Madam Deception, uh, Braveheart, Greatheart came to him and said, let me tell you who she is. This woman is a witch. Whoever lays his head down in her lap might as well lay his head on the chopping block. And whoever gazes upon her beauty is counted as the enemy of God. I don't know of a better way to introduce Revelation chapter 17 to you I think I could do research for a hundred years and not find a better way of saying, this is what we are about to study in the first six verses of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not written to tell us when Jesus Christ is going to return. Once Jesus told us in the gospels that even he didn't know when he's coming back, sort of settled it, I probably wouldn't know either. The book is designed to tell us he is coming back and to fill us with hope and to have a strategy for how to handle unrelenting temptation and trial that's going to increase 
right before his return. Satan has only one mission in life, and that is present to you a temptation that will cause you to fall away in your faith. This is what Revelation 17 is about. Verse one, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was, was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of all the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Revelation 17 is very helpful to us, especially verse one of the chapter that I just read because it tells us what the whole chapter is about. If you didn't have verse one, you might think that uh, this chapter is simply about the destruction of a prostitute in a city, but it tells us that the whole chapter is about the coming destruction of all evil power that attempts, attempts to seduce the world away from God. Um, and because I think I've mentioned this before to you, the book of Revelation is full of metaphors that it's not about a prostitute. The prostitute represents a city that is evil and tries to seduce its people to depart from God. We're told that the name of that city, verse five, written on her forehead is Babylon. In times of antiquity, there was probably not a stronger, mightier city than Babylon. About 600 years before Christ, it was in its prime. It was a godless city ruled by godless leaders who tried to basically pass along their values to their citizens. Babylon basically worshiped two gods, uh, a god of sinful sexuality and godless material gain. And so the prostitute represents the city of Babylon that powerfully drew its people away from God. Now I wanna, do, I wanna say this, um, we're gonna look at <clears throat> this, this prostitute that is, is living in, um, as mentioned six times in, in Revelation 17. And I wanna say this, you know, we live in a very difficult time when it seems like child trafficking and uh, horrible kidnapping around the world is, is at an all-time high. So when, and some of these young people, these children are forced into prostitution. We're, we're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about a woman who has the power by her own choice to adopt a lifestyle, a business in which she ruins people's lives through immorality. This is the kind of prostitute that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 17. 
And she is a metaphor for an entire city called Babylon. But if you keep reading the book, you'll see that Babylon is actually a metaphor for another city. It represents an even stronger force of evil in the world. The writer mentions this in verse 18, a bit of ways where we're headed today. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And I've told you before that if the book of Revelation means anything, it would have had to meant something to the people who first received it, right? So they're wondering what this great city is. And so he tells them it's the city of Rome. So Rome was always called in ancient times the city of seven hills. So when you start Revelation 17, you see the spirit of the prostitute. She really represents the spirit of Babylon, a wicked city in the past. But that wicked city, that spirit was now in Rome and its leaders were corrupt, pagan. They loved godlessness. They thought the most important thing in life was living for the fulfillment of your flesh through sexual sin and godless worldly gain. So that was Rome. And then if you keep reading, you're gonna realize it was really just a metaphor for all the cities of the world. That's what the prostitute represents. Revelation 17, the great prostitute who sits by many waters, that would be our first clue. That's, John says, in, she sits by many waters, said, water many waters. Well, in verse 15, he tells us, he said, well, the waters that you saw, clue, <laughs> are, this is where all the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and the language groups of the world are. So this prostitute influences nations, language, ethnicities, everywhere. So the spirit of the prostitute was in Babylon, corrupted that city, was in Rome, corrupted that city, but that spirit of seduction corrupts every city in the world. And that's the point of Revelation 17, so it would be meaningful to us also today. Um, so the spirit of the prostitute, you would now say, that was in Babylon, that was in Rome, is now in New York, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, Mumbai, Tokyo, uh, Beijing, Hong Kong, and Spartanburg. The one thing that all cities have in common because of her, the spirit of prostitution, that spirit, is that they believe that God cannot offer as much pleasure as sexual immorality and godless materialism can offer. That is in every city, and that spirit controls every city. That's the message of Revelation 17. So why does this chapter exist in the Bible? Well, because John wants us to see a couple things. Because if, remember when we left Revelation way back in April, in chapter 16, we saw the destruction of this city. An earthquake collapsed every building in the city. 
And so then John spends two more chapters, 17 and 18, telling us about this city. And you would say, why are you doing that? Because this city, the worldly city, the spirit of prostitution that's in every city, has destroyed so many lives that the people of the first century and you in the 21st century need to know that one day it's going to be defeated. And that's what we'll see next week at the end of 17, the destruction of the spirit of prostitution everywhere. If you're a believer, you want evil to be eradicated more than you want anything else in life. And the second reason that John wrote this chapter is so that you would be prepared to know how you are going to be tempted and how powerful this woman, this spirit is in every generation. Again, he tells us how powerful she is in verse two. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So she influenced every world leader to choose sexual sin as the ultimate pleasure and godless materialistic gain and all the inhabitants of the earth. Her influence was on everyone. Now, I want to say a word because John uses the word adultery uh, a lot in these six verses. Uh, and when he uses the word adultery, it's from the Greek word uh, porneia. Uh, you can hear the word porn in that. Uh, it's the Greek word for immorality. And sexual immorality is described in the Bible as seeking sexual pleasure uh, outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. Uh, and so he uses this word six times in these six chapters. Verse one, I'll show you the punishment of the great Pornes. With her, the kings of the earth committed uh, a poor new son. The inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her Porneas. Uh, she held a golden cup in her hand filled with the filth of her porneas. Babylon the Great is the mother of pornon. So I've told you before that whenever you come across a word in the Bible that's used a lot in a short amount of time, that's probably a key word you should focus on to understand the passage. So why did John refer to so many references to sexual immorality, sexual sin, I, I, a couple reasons. Number one is, <clears throat> I think it's the one sin that he knew that we could all relate to. Who is not tempted here? So, I mean, there's a lot of things I could mention today. So, well, that's not a temptation, but I think that one is, okay, I can feel the pull, everybody can feel the pull of this particular temptation. That would be, number one, we know this woman's spirit is strong. Number two, I think the reason that he did it, and really the more important reason is, is he's wanting us to <clears throat> understand the greater sin in life <clears throat> is spiritual adultery, not uh, adultery at a horizontal level on earth uh, between in, in marriage. What I mean by that is <clears throat> uh, sexual sin is not the only sin in the world and it's not the worst sin in the world. The worst sin in the world is spiritual adultery and that is saying that you want 
to be united with someone other than God. There's a better lover than God. There's no chapter of the Bible that really talks about this choice that humanity makes about looking at God and saying, you're not enough, then Ezekiel 16. In that chapter, God comes to Israel and says, I found you when you were vulnerable and uh, you know, small and nothing and, and not, a, not attractive. And I entered into a relationship with you. We were together and you left me, Israel. You abandoned me as your, as your husband. This is how he says it toward the end of the chapter. Ezekiel 16, I clothed you with an embroidered dress. I adorned you with jewelry. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. But you trusted in your beauty and you used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourselves male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. So here's the essence of spiritual adultery. God creates us. He blesses us. He provides for our needs. And he seeks to enter into a relationship with us That relationship is dependent upon us acknowledging that he's the king of kings and worthy of all of our devotion. And once we acknowledge that, our love and obedience flow out of that acknowledgement of his supremacy. So spiritual adultery is turning away from that and saying that's not true. Like this, spiritual adultery is to abandon the God who's blessed us and to give our hearts to something else that we consider to be more worthy than God, something we believe can satisfy us more than God. And so that's really what Revelation 17 is about. It uses the imagery of sexual immorality a lot, but it's really for the purpose of teaching the church about spiritual adultery, being tempted by the world to abandon Christ, to say that he's not worthy in him. And this temptation is going to come at you so strong by evidence of the next verse. Verse 3, Revelation 17, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman, there she is again, sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now, we're going to look at him next week. Uh, Obviously, a lot of interest in the beast uh, this time of history with all that's happening in the Middle East. And so, but we'll look about him. My answer next week will not be as thrilling as you might think, but uh, we've met him before also in Revelation. So we've got this beast right here and we met him in Revelation 13, also called a beast. And he's the same description in Revelation 13 as Revelation 17. Had seven heads, uh, ten horns, and and the ten horns were just a description or a a, a symbol of his power. Seven heads, a symbol of of his power. But the main thing to notice about him is that he is blasphemous. 
That's, that's what the beast does. The beast constantly says, Jesus is not worthy to be sung about in church. He's not worthy of your giving, suffering, and obeying. There's another God better than Jesus is what the beast says, and the beast says it's him. And that's why he is called in the Bible the Antichrist. He's not just a, he doesn't just oppose Christ. He wants to take the place of Christ. And so here in Revelation 17, the woman enters into a relationship with the beast. What does that mean? Culture, which is seeking pleasure, sinful, sensual pleasure and godless materialistic gain, culture wants more of it. So how does, how does culture get that? By uniting itself with a demonic force called the Antichrist. We don't know what that force is, person, organization. I don't know. doesn't matter. That's what's happening in Revelation 17. Culture and the demonic in order to be able to enjoy even greater amounts of sin. Now, so what you need to know when you look out at every city in the world, remember Babylon, Rome, and now the major cities of U.S. and abroad, or any city, what's happening is an invisible thing is happening. People will unite themselves with evil in order to gain pleasure and possessions. That's Revelation 17. That's how strong she is. That's how strong the spirit of prostitution, the spirit of seduction is. I'm willing to unite myself with evil in order to experience what is promised to be, not to be, but promise greater pleasure. Why is all of this uniting of the beast and the woman important? Because let's look what happens at the end of the Revelation. Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. So if you want to know where is history, well, let's keep reading it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. So if you want to know what is the purpose of history, the purpose of history is God is pulling out of the world people that he is going to bring to heaven, out of the world, to heaven, into a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. And forever and ever, Jesus Christ will be our groom and the church will be the bride of Jesus. But until then, so, so Jesus is a bride, right? You're, if you're a, a true member of the church, you are a part of the bride of Christ. Probably need an amen right there. It's a precious invitation. Satan wants a bride as well. And he gets that in our verse. Satan, the Antichrist, he wants to be Christ. Christ has a bride. Satan wants a bride. And there, the woman is the bride of the beast. So, 
the prostitute of Revelation 17, the woman is the anti-church bride of Satan. On earth, (laughs) Satan has his bride and is called the world. All those who reject Jesus belong to the bride of Satan, the beast. The beast is their groom. The woman, the prostitute, represents the world who is married to the beast. So everyone in the world that lives for sensual, materialistic pleasure belongs to the prostitute. The world, which is married to the beast, the Antichrist of Satan. Everybody else belongs to the bride of Jesus, the church. And everybody belongs to one or the other. You say, well, why would anybody choose to be married to the beast? Why would anybody say, I'm going to... I'm going to align myself with the prostitute in order for, to experience more of everything in this world. Why? Because she's so beautiful. John is honest about that. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. So Satan is very good at making the world look like a better choice than the church. There were 80,000 people yesterday at ball games close to here, maybe 600 here in church. Why? Because everything in the world just looks better, bigger, shinier, faster than the church. The world always looks more impressive than the church from the world's perspective. The world promises to give you more than the church would ever offer you. So most people end up believing the world is the better choice than the church. Look again at what the prostitute offers. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. So the world comes by, walks by the prostitute, and she holds out this shiny gold, you know, full of wealth cup and says to the world, drink And the world doesn't know, but the cup is filled with poison, filth. But the world, looking for fulfillment, drinks from the golden cup in the hand of the prostitute because she makes everything look attractive. Again, we see at the end of Revelation a contrast between her and the church, and Jesus. Again, back to the book of Revelation. Verse 21, I am the, this is Jesus talking. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So the prostitute holds out a golden cup and says, drink, and it's poison. Jesus holds out his eternal heart of love and says, drink, and I'll make you alive forever and ever and ever. But she's good. She's good at making her offer look 
inviting and fulfilling. She has a promise. Jesus has a promise. And the greatest decision you'll ever make in life is banking your eternity on who will keep their promise, Jesus or, or her. And of course, the prostitute is always going to tell you that she has better things than Jesus. But look what she, look what her, her, look what her um, motive is, her intention is for you. Verse six, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. She only has one mission in life, and that is to destroy you, to destroy your joy, to bring shame, pain into your life by offering you sin to pull you away from Jesus. A prostitute does not love the men that she seduces. Their clients, she hates them. They're valuable for only the night. She doesn't care what happens to their lives, their family, their businesses. This woman here, the spirit here, specifically seeks to destroy those who are trying to follow Christ. So what's the purpose of our study today? Five things. Number one, to create a sense of alarm. People wrote me this week, said, we're praying for you as you return to Revelation. I said, well, you need to read the first six verses and you'll pray even more. If you have been filled with a sense of alarm today, then the chapter did its purpose. You should be alarmed. This is the world in which we live. The temptations that you face are described in that chapter, unrelenting temptation to give yourself to sinful pleasure. Just like the young man in Proverbs 5 that was warned, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, her feet go down to the grave. Her, ste her steps lead straight to the grave, to death. She gives no thought to the way of life. Sin does not love you. It seeks to kill you. Sex was designed by God to bless lives that's been hijacked by Satan to destroy lives. Number two, what can we gain from Revelation 17 to remind us that sin is attractive? Revelation 17, the seductive power of the woman there was attractive. Proverbs 5, she was attractive. This woman knew how to make herself look beautiful, how to, how to talk beautifully, how to walk beautifully, how to smell beautifully. And yet in the, the cup that she held was death, poison, filth. The sin that Satan offers us is always going to appeal to your flesh. It will always, your flesh will always say, it wants it so bad. So do not be shocked by the power of temptation. In fact, I'd like to encourage you here that if you are really being tempted, it's, you should not regard that as sin. That's just how strong the spirit of the prostitute is throughout all of history. And, and the strength of that temptation is not sin. It just means that he's coming after you. 
but it's not sin in itself. Obviously, it will lead to great destruction if you give in to that. But the point is that the adulterous spirit of the world is so appealing, so attractive, so convincing that those sins that you once thought were dangerous and you fled from, when they beat on your door enough, tragically, they could be very attractive to you. You know, one of the ways that the adulterous spirit of Babylon is at work in our culture right now is to say, it's, this is a, a big phrase that's used right now, if something feels right, it is right. Here, let me say it again. If something feels right, it is right. That's what she does. She always makes sin feel right. So that's a lie. We know that's a lie of culture. The voice that's telling you, if my body feels this, there's nothing wrong with what my body feels. I don't have any choice in this. You know, I was born this way with this bent. That's not God. That's her. The spirit of the prostitute would say to somebody, I was born a thief. I must always steal. I have no choice. I was born uh, an alcoholic. I must always be drunk because my body craves this. Listen, your body is always going to crave sin. My body craves sin. So I can't make decisions on what my body craves. That's her telling me that. The spirit of adultery, the spirit of the prostitute. I, I have long to live. I want to live. I want to, I told some other day, I, I hope that in my day, in my generation, I can see Muslims coming to Christ. I just would love to see people from that area of the world, that culture into Christ. And I want to see a revival occur within the homosexual community coming to Christ. But, but no precious soul that is either bound by homosexual sin or heterosexual sin will ever come to Jesus if they say, I have to do this because I was born this way. No, that's her. That's the spirit of adultery, spirit of the prostitute. The God who created you knows how painful. You know, I'm comforted by that right now. He knows how painful it is to resist. I'm so grateful for that. But he will provide a way out through Jesus. But not until you come to him. If you live by that motto, I have to do this, Jesus will be of no benefit to you. Number three, oh, this is Revelation 18.4. We're gonna see this in a few weeks. Come out of her, my people, so that you'll not share in her sins. So you know the voice of God is not, hey, you have to be with her. That's, that's the voice of God right there. Leave, and Jesus will make that possible. Number three, reason why we study this today, to see what temptation, to see what it is. Sin is not just doing a bad thing. It is saying, I want a divorce from Christ. I don't want him to be the love of my life. I want to belong to the beast. He offers more, the woman offers more than Christ. That the world is more valuable than Christ. Sinful pleasure is more, it's better than the pleasures of Christ. That's what temptation is saying. 
I want to be with someone other than Jesus. Four, why'd we do this today in Revelation 17? To compel us to develop a plan to overcome temptation. Well, I think we've made it clear today, you're gonna be bombarded by this voice in Revelation 17. You know how she is, she's unrelenting. The spirit of the prostitute. So if Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Rome, the spirit of Spartanburg, the spirit of the world, the spirit of culture is filling your head with lies and deception, you have to fill your head with truth and the Bible. I'm so glad you're here today for the band to help you sing truth and for me to help you believe truth because you're about to go hear her. She's going to do it today. She's going to tell you on TV, computer, your phone, Tomorrow at school, work, she'll be there. You need to fill your head with truth. And you know, you will know how serious you are about staying united with Christ by how intentional you are with developing a plan. You can't stop the temptation, but you can put a plan in place. I had a friend of mine flying across the country this week, and he texts me. I struggle sometimes that when I'm flying with some of the programming on the TVs on the airplane that are not pure. Would you ask me when I land, how did I do? That's a serious brother. So it, it, you, have to, you have to invite somebody into your life that's going to hold you accountable. Or you, 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 won't, you, you won't defeat her, the voice, the beast. The voice of the prostitute in our generation probably speaks most often through pornography. It's really hard for me not to say this since John mentioned the word porn six times. Like what? I have to be a coward not to mention that after six times. It's impossible to say how many lives have been ruined by one click on a computer that led to another, that led to an hour, that led to a life. To look at pornography is the same as having an immoral relationship with somebody. It's just, you're just separated by a screen. But you're still experiencing sexual pleasure with somebody that's not your husband or wife. And it's, it's porn, it's sexual sin. And it affects everybody, men and women. I cannot speak to the women issue. Spent my life counseling on the men's side. But I think this statement is true that I heard this week. The temptation for men is to see pornography. The temptation for women is to be pornography. If you're a parent of an adolescent male, teenage boy, you know what he's facing, his phone, computer. If you're a parent of an adolescent girl, you know what she's facing from just the marketing world, clothing world, telling her to be pornography. 
So we must run from every impure, unholy, sensual image and not be an unholy, sensual image by the choices we make. Number five, to help us know why new forms of sin spread so rapidly. Revelation 17, John says, when I saw this woman, I was amazed at her. It wasn't a compliment. He was astonished in an alarming kind of way of how much influence she had over all the kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the land. Like how quickly her influence spread. So that's one thing we gain from Revelation 17 is to realize how quickly something that is unholy can spread and look normal in a culture. And nothing proves that in the area of sexuality or sexual sin in our generation as does the transgender movement. Because three, four years ago, we would not have had a conversation. We wouldn't really understand, we'd, like, what are you talking about? And in just a matter of three years, we see this, uh, this incredible uh, movement across culture, the nation, the world, of especially adolescent uh, girls uh, saying, I'm trans. I'm a boy. You say, how did that happen so quickly? It's the, it's the spirit of the prostitute. In Revelation 17, she causes sin, unholy thinking, unholy behavior to spread rapidly. Psychologists call it a social contagion. It's when there is a phenomenon in a culture where you'll take a subset of the culture, like adolescent girls, that's happening now. 15 years ago, if you were a counselor, husbands and wives or parents would come to my office and they would say, there is a movement at my child's school on cutting themselves. Self-destructive behavior became popular 15 years ago, cutting All of a sudden, girls would decide this is something I should do, cut. It happened because of a social contagion. Maybe depressed, rejected by this group over here. All of a sudden, a young person finds acceptance in this group. And then this group grows because of the desire to be accepted. That's what happens with the spirit of the prostitute as it moves through culture, moves through the land, moves through the world, can make self-destructive, unholy behavior look exceedingly popular. So what's the answer for all of this? What's the hope? Well, next week, we get to see at the end of Revelation 17 where the spirit of the prostitute is destroyed by the Lamb of God. And that's good news. Every believer wants that. But what that's in the future. It hadn't happened yet uh, in, in our teaching or in the world. It will. If you're a Christian, you want that more than you want anything. So how about for you today? 
What if you have united your life with the spirit of the prostitute, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of culture, the spirit of the world? You have rejected Christ and have brought great destruction, shame, pain into your life. Well, to find the answer for hope for that, you turn back to Revelation 1. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. My wife and I were at a banquet uh, Thursday night, honoring all of the children around the world that were set free from child slavery through an organization called Set Free. You go to the website, Set Free Alliance, and all of the water wells that were dug by Set Free to bring clean drinking water and the salvation of Jesus Christ to the world. The theme of the evening was how God works through brokenness. That he uses broken people like me and you to do glorious things, to drill water wells and to save children. And sinners do it. And so what they did when we first came into the banquet, they gave us a little piece of broken piece of glass, it was plastic, and we got to place them somewhere on a piece of plexiglass, and they, while they were in the meeting, they put them all together on that cross that's on the stage today to show that the cross of Jesus Christ is beautiful because it's made up of broken people who have been forgiven by the King of Kings. This is how he shows his love by freeing us from our sins when we chose another lover. He takes us back. So today I want you to just look at the cross and to know there's a place for you on that cross. Broken man, broken woman, broken teenager. You bring your brokenness to him and he places you in the cross of forgiven, heaven-bound people ready for the great wedding day to come. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.